Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hadley and welcome to another edition of the Viewfinder Podcast. Though millions of people know the American South for football, food, and music, the region's more macabre landmarks, haunted houses, cemeteries, and deserted ghost towns among many, have constantly been a favorite with tourists and parapsychologists alike. Equally spooked and fascinated by these frightening destinations and the chilling backstories behind them are Dan Myrick and Christian Krempel, co-producers of the new horror anthology series Black Veil, and my guests on today's podcast. Co-created by Myrick, an indie horror film icon best known for writing and co-directing the 1999 smash hit The Blair Witch Project, and Jeffrey Reddick, who originated the blockbuster Final Destination franchise, Black Veil and its first of six haunting stories, all tied together by the presence of a mysterious woman donning a black veil, were filmed in Plant City, located in the Tampa Bay area. Both natives of nearby Sarasota, Florida, Myrick and Krempel join me today not only to talk about how Black Veil's southern-set tales of terror mirror the real-life frights that abound in Florida's most haunted areas, but also about how the series' production, currently paused due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, will help revive the Sunshine State's formerly booming film and TV industry. Later on in this interview, Myrick and Krempel will discuss their other top project, the recently released UFO feature film thriller Skyman, which follows a man who attempts to have another close encounter with extraterrestrials over 10 years after they supposedly made contact with him. You can find Skyman on DVD, Blu-ray, and video on demand. Now on the podcast, though, Myrick and Krempel join me to talk about the dark world of Black Veil. Dan... What is Black Veil about, and what can viewers expect to see in the series? Black Veil is about uh, it's a online series horror anthology um, that revolves around Southern Gothic horror, and our intention was to sort of like dive into Southern folklore, both pre-existing and that of which we create on our own. Um, utilizing, you know, several kind of known talents in the horror space and to tell these short stories around Southern, uh, you know, ghost stories, um, you know, haunted areas and houses and whatnot um, that have permeated, I think, through my childhood, growing up in Florida and, and same with Christian, um, and bring them to the, to the screen and uh, in, a, in a very cool, kind of high production value sort of way. Christian, do you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, Dan and I both grew up in Longboat Key, Sarasota, Florida, funny enough. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Dan was filming uh, Skyman um, out in the desert of California. And we just started kicking around this idea. Dan brought up this idea and he's like, you know, I kind of want to do this anthology series and you know where we get to work in different people and i said you know we should do that in florida and one thing led to another and you know the good idea fairy came around and next thing you know our great leader here has got us you know got one hell of a series lined up that we haven't even announced a lot which i'm sure he will to you and you dan of course are a very prominent name in the world of horror films having written and directed the blair witch project You've also got two other prominent names in the horror genre as part of Black Veil's production team, Jeffrey Reddick, who created the Final Destination franchise, and writer Danny McBride, who penned the first three Underworld films. 
How did they become involved in Black Veil? What attracted them to this project? And what roles will they be playing in the show's production? Well, Jeffrey Reddick is a friend of mine, has been for years. We we met um, at the uh, Mile High Film Fest in Colorado a few years ago and just sort of got to know each other. And I have a great respect for Jeffrey's work. He's, a, he's also a, a director in his own right, um, just came out with a movie um, called Good Samaritan. And we've always wanted to work on a project together. And it's just one of those things that we appreciate each other, really have a great mutual respect. And you know, had already hoped that the right thing would come around. And so when Black Veil was sort of created, it provided an opportunity for us to reach out to other directors and creators and writers. He was one of the first people on my list to get involved. And um, so I asked if he'd be interested in being on board as an executive producer, which he said yes to. And um, that's very exciting. And being a writer as well, I said, you know, if you have any ideas, I'd like to write one of these segments and or direct. We're totally open to you doing that. So, so he could very well be doing that for us as well. So just having his involvement, his creative oversight with a lot of what we're doing is is really important. And, and, and um, uh, I think a great uh, testament to, to how exciting this particular uh, series could be. And with Danny... Um, that connection connection was done through Christian, who brought brought Danny and is, is known Danny from the past. Um, I think he's a fellow Floridian as well, and he's and, also from Sarasota. Yeah, so I mean, you know, coincidentally, all three of us but, are. So we know each other then. But I'm a big fan of his work as well, and and uh, and again, all these people. Um, like myself, are sort of of the mind that you know Hollywood has sort of beaten us up a little bit here and there, and, and we 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 felt a little frustrated by the system kind of keeping uh, us contained and, and kind of stereotyped in a lot of ways. And we wanted to, to have a, a, a platform and a venue, a creative venue that where we can kind of explore some of these other ideas that have been sitting on our hard drives for decades even. <laughs> and, and so the Black Veil series is an opportunity for these guys and myself included to kind of have full creative control and do these things the way we want to do them without any kind of, you know, executive oversight. And and they, they really responded to that. So I know Danny has already written one episode. He wants to direct one as well with his partner, Alex uh, Popov. And um, so that's that's really um, fun stuff. And, and, and we hope that not only this first season, um, but seasons afterwards, that we'll be able to reach out to both established directors of all stripes, as well as new and up and coming directors and writers that we can incorporate in this in this whole process. Any further details on those episodes that they'll be working on? Well, they're, count, <laughs> count on them being scary and being uh, very intriguing. We're, we're, we're reviewing the scripts now. They're in really good shape. Um, you know, once the pandemic is sort of behind us and everyone's feeling good about going out and shooting again, we've got three or four sort of teed up to go. Um, but they will be, I, you know, my goal with this is sort of a, you know, so the showrunner, if you will, on on this process is is to do a to do a series in Florida that that could rival anything you would see on Netflix or HBO Max or what have you. That is, um, you know, both in terms of, of low budget and its cost, but but high production value in its execution. So that's that's our goal is to do something that we can all really be proud of, and that looks really uh, polished and slick and and but above all, scary. 
Your thoughts on that, Christian? Yeah, I, I think Dan hit the nail on the head. And, you know, one of the things that, that really attracted me to it is, you know, Dan, Dan is a, Dan, an icon in the industry. And, and it, obviously he does things a little bit different, which is a, was attractive for me, uh, stepping outside of the normal Hollywood uh, realm. And Dan came up with the short content. And this, you know, uh, it's, it's a short content series. I mean, we're estimating, Dan, 15 to 18 minutes per episode which is perfect for consuming on your device and, you know, being scared in 15 minutes. And, and we've, we've got a lot of groundwork with some social media partners out there interested in, and obviously the content as well. And I just, I think Dan said it best by, you know, he says lower budget, I call it a modest budget, but Dan's one of the best at putting those dollars on screen, you know, like the Danny McBrides and the Alex Popoffs and the Chris Pickenpaws, who's a fantastic writer. Um, and, and a good friend of Dan's, you know, they didn't charge us their rates, you know, because we're, they all see the same thing that we see. And, and I, I got to hand it to Dan with the 15 minute, you know, the short content stuff. I mean, now we look like geniuses, Dan, you know, but at the time, <laughs> at the time, you know, it, well, it's it, also it, a nice way. Time, it's, a it's a great entry point for these kind of high level folks that are getting involved because it doesn't require a ton of, time from them i mean they, they can do these little episodes and you know and they're not unlike myself where we've got all these cool little ideas that may not be a full feature film idea it's just a little cool you know something scary and, and, and neat and it's been bouncing around in our heads for years and this is something that would make a good little short film so it doesn't require a huge time commitment on their part and they can come in between their normal day jobs and knock these things out for us and we get to capitalize on their talents and their and their name value in our series um, without without having a huge you know financial and time commitment and that's that works out really well for us and like Christian had mentioned in these new platforms this is the kind of stuff that's being consumed now so so um, we're we're well positioned right now for it. Speaking of talents, besides you, Jeffrey and Danny and Chris. Who else will be involved in Black Veil, both in front of and behind the camera, given that it's a horror anthology series? Well, we're reaching out to a lot of people. I mean, we've got, um, you know, uh, directors, like I said, of all stripes that we want to encourage, you know, as long as they're good at what they do and, and, and they have the right attitude and they're enthusiastic about okay. getting involved with our process. Um, we, we, we are open to anybody that, that is, um, you know, got the talent and the chops to get it done with, within our, with our, our budget and kind of creative, um, over, I should say, theme, you know, this kind of Southern Gothic theme is what we're, we're kind of sticking into. So, um, and we've even, you know, we, this first season, um, uh, you know, We've got a, an amazing director of photography, Nick Matthews, who's, who did our first pilot episode. Who's, who's spectacular. Just, he's a genius with the lighting. He's a genius with, with, with the lenses. Getting, I think, lenses, everything. So we got we got a deal from Cook lenses, which are arguably the best lenses in the world. Um, Aeroflex is you know we're, we have a, a lot of cooperation from high level people to make this yeah. thing really shine. And so that's that's a great overall package that will attract a director, will attract a writer, and even talent. You know, top-notch talent we could, we could attract as well. Because, again, it's you come out for a week or two, you can knock these things out, have a lot of fun with what we're doing um, in, a, in a state, in an area that's very accommodating to production and, and uh, the talent. 
So you can come and have a really good time making a movie and then go back to your back to your, your normal life, wherever it may be. So I think um, once we get the ball rolling, I mean, re-rolling, because we had it rolling before, but once you get yeah, re-rolling, I think we, we um, will uh, have, have more and more leverage to, to, to get these really top talent involved with what we're doing down the road. It, it, you know, and then to add to that, you know, Chris, you know, one of the things that the, the dance I got to talk about is, I mean, the attraction for me, I've spent 10 years at the Grammy Awards and they're very staunch. I mean, funny enough, when I got there, it was nicknamed the Grumpy, you know, <laughs> because they're just so, they're just kind of, they're, 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 they're very linear. And, and one of the things that attracted me to Dan is, and he's very modest about that, is he creates a fabulous atmosphere on set. And I've worked on a number of sets that, and, and we've, we've talked about the gelling process. I mean, Dan makes it so easy. And, and I know one of your questions was kind of, you know, how much is Dan? Dan's kind of like the creative director, I call him. But he he makes, he sets the tone. You know, he doesn't tell you how to do it. It's a very easygoing process. He lets Nick, he let Nick be Nick. You know, they, they put it together. And Dan's got a really easy back and forth. And, and that's the part that... That's, at, at my part of my career that attracted me to working with Dan is it's just, it's seamless. It, it, it doesn't feel like work. I mean, we worked in the desert for, for weeks and it didn't, it was probably one of the best experiences in my life. Definitely. So even though this is an anthology series with different writers and directors, you guys just let everybody do their own thing. Well, like I said, within creative parameters, we, we want to make sure that the that the shows have a, a consistency with them, which is why we're kind of keeping the same cinematographer for the first season. So they have the same basic look. Um, and, you know, as the scripts come in, I'm like I said, I'm sort of show running each each script. And, you know, if something's completely out in left field that doesn't really gel with the overall aesthetic, then it will will not use that script so i'm sort of making sure the scripts that do come in sort of fall into this same southern gothic theme so that it all feels like um you know the same sort of connective tissue of the black veil um um you know style but at the same time they each are standalone stories you know so the directors and writers have a lot of creative leeway to kind of interpret it how they want and shoot it how they want um, within those certain parameters, so I think um, that that's very attractive for folks like me, that, that you've got a general overall thematic direction that you can latch on to, but you've got the creative freedom to do what you want with it, and that's um, and that's a lot of fun. Tell us about the first episode of Black Veil, which you've already shot and produced, and some of the other stories that will be featured this season. First episode is called Camera Obscura, which was written by Chris Pickenpaw, who's a friend of mine out of L.A., um, very talented writer. And, um, you know, we shot that in when, when, what month was it? January and February. End of January. We right. We stopped in the beginning of January and then February. And we were about ready to go into episode two when all, all right, the wheels yeah, came so, off. So, yeah. So we shot that. And I've been I've been. Um, uh, it's pretty much mostly edited right now. I'm still tweaking. Could you know, admit the whole the Skyman stuff I've had to be involved with in the last few weeks, and as well as the, you know, managing a pandemic in my household. I've got two kids, um, so that I have to get jumping back into that. But it's a it's a story basically revolves around sort of this haunted camera, if you will, that has infected a particular uh, individual that kind of. Um, 
forces you to sort of revisit traumas of your of your past and confront them and even turn you into into wanting revenge for those traumas. So that's what this first episode sort of revolves around. Um, and, uh, you know, Abigail Island, who's, who's a talented actress in her own right, one I almost cast for, actually for Skyman back in the day, but I, I put a pin in her back during the auditions when she came in for that um, and called her to be the lead in this first episode for Black Veil. Sally Kirkland, who's a big, uh, you know, golden age of Hollywood star that that uh, we we who has a, a golden globe and an Oscar nomination in her own um, uh, career, came out and did a, a really a pivotal role for us, playing the Nana, the grandmother of to Abigail's character. So we've got a really great cast for this first episode and lots of talent, and we were able to really knock it out efficiently. And the production value is just off the charts. So I'm sure Christian couldn't send you the link for the for the trailer, but Yeah, um, I was trying to do that while we we're here. Yeah. I'll yeah. Do that. So we're very excited about this being sort of our flagship show that sort of launches the launches the tone, launches our pitch um, for the rest of the first season that um, a lot of people in the area are excited about getting getting going. So that's that's um uh that's the first episode the for two other episodes that we have sort of like locked in, um, one's called Wisteria, which Chris Pickenpaw, who wrote the first episode, we're having him direct the second. So that's his own creation that he'll be directing. He's very excited about doing that. So that's our next episode that we have up for production. Um, and then Danny McBride's episode, uh, which revolves around, of all places, uh, sort of a COVID-infected nursing home. Um, very timely. <laughs> And uh, right. so he, he's written a draft of that script that we're, we're excited about that he and both he and uh, Alex will be involved with um, directing. And so that's so th I don't want to let too much too many cats out of the bag, but that's sort of a, a you know, a taste of what's to come for Black Veil um, once we get back into production. And I think those both of those episodes and subsequent episodes are really going to rock and be a great, uh, fun genre-driven um, show, showcase for, for, for a lot of this stuff. And um, and in the future, you know, we're talking to partnerships as Christian touched into both on plat on the platform distribution side, but also potentially on the funding distribution side where we, we get a partner with us um, to break this right. out even bigger once things get rolling. So we have a lot of, a lot of uh, possibilities on the horizon with this thing. And once production finally wraps on the show's first season, whenever that may be, given the trajectory of the COVID-19 pandemic, when will it be released and where can people go to see Black Veil? Well, our initial... That's evolved a few times, huh? That's evolved yeah, a few well, times. We're talking to several partners now. Um, we, we uh, again, everyone's sort of guessing what's going to happen and who's going to have what and when. Um, you know, we, we definitely, we, we're chatting with Fangoria as a, po a possible partner with us on some of this stuff. We want to approach Bloody Disgustings and Dread Centrals of those guys. iHorror.com is a partner with us already uh, to a certain level on the marketing side with this. So um, we're chatting with them because they want to get into the content space as well. So what we're, our plan is to create a really solid show that any one of these platforms could be involved with distribution side and be able to kind of pick or maybe all of the above to get this show out to as many eyeballs as we can. 
Um, we're even contemplating a version, which we've talked to a local outfit in Tampa, of having our own platform where we That's do right. the hosting and we and we do the distribution ourselves through through our own platform partner, um, and then maybe license it out to these other people that we've mentioned. So all these potentials are there. Whatever works best for us, both financially and and, and creatively, um, is what we're going to what we're going to entertain. Do you have a rough estimate on when filming might resume on Black Veil? And if so, what precautions are you and your team taking to ensure a safe environment on the set? One thing about us is we want to be very compliant. We want to be compliant. There's no need for us to rush back out there. Again, we don't, I mean, last thing we want is anybody to get sick on our, we're ready to go. But uh, as we just don't know, I mean, we're ready to go. The, we're doing all the boring stuff, the, you know, the, the stuff that needs to be done, the the budget and all the paperwork documents and, and just locking the scripts in and, and refining them. And I want to avoid, you know, being that production that infects a couple of people and we were and, and we get miscast as being reckless or irresponsible um, when when we don't really we don't have to be. We can we can focus our energies on making sure the scripts are really great and really locked in. Right. The production right. will be there when it comes, and 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 if we, if we are smart about it, um, you know we can take our cues from IATSE, we can take our cues from SAG, we can take our cues from the industry. But until you can get a, a production insurance insurance, and nobody's liable, and you feel that everyone on the set's going to be safe and taken care of, then there's no point in risking anyone's life for a, for a goofy horror short. It just isn't worth right. it. So. Um, I'm confident that the science behind the labs working on treatments and working on vaccines are going to pull through and come through for us. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in that science, and there's no, there's no reason to rush it. But yeah, we'll, we'll take all the necessary precautions when the time comes and when everyone's feeling good about it, that the crew will be safe and we will shoot and also allow us to creatively do what we need to do to make it the best thing possible. And that's very doable. Hopefully, you know, later this year or early next year, when everything's sort of like you know figured out, then 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 we'll be re we'll be ready to go. And you guys in Louisiana know it better than anybody else. I mean, yeah. it's it's it. But you know, when you go when you don't take it seriously, it it bites you in the ass, no doubt about right. it. And unfortunately, there still are people in this state and elsewhere who haven't been taking this whole thing seriously. And look what's happened. Yeah. I think I think that's emblematic of the the entire states right now. I mean, we've uh, I, I have a lot of these conversations with uh, regarding um, you know the the virus and what to do going forward. And you know, they would talk to us about a pod. I, I think I told Dan that they came to the film commissioner started talking to me about doing a, a pod scenario where you send hair and makeup in and then you send in uh, you know you take hair and makeup out and you send in the camera. And that's just counterproductive to the creative process. You know. The reason why it works so well on Dan's set, and I'm sure everybody else is, is because everybody's there collaborating, and there's input. And to isolate people or silo people, I just think it's going to dilute the product at the end of the day. Yeah, everything works in conjunction in, in real time, especially on a small set, you know, independently funded kind of things where you have to work very efficiently and very quickly. You don't have the luxury of, of being able to take departments out offset and move in departments or have these testing regimes every day. It's hugely expensive. You just don't have those luxuries or be able to quarantine an entire stage, you know, for your crew and your cast. It's, you just don't have those luxuries. So, 
you know, um, just short of like shipping everyone to New Zealand, <laughs> which isn't yeah. in the budget either. Right. You, right. you have to work um, in very close quarters for extended lengths of time for long days. That's just the nature of what we do. And um, so, so yeah, that's, again, um, I've, I've said this from day one, and Christian will, 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 will be able to cut and paste the quotes from me from months ago, but it's we're all trying to figure out how to safely shoot a film in a lightning storm. There, there really is no safe way of doing it. It's just various bad ways. So, um, and until we know how to like contain the lightning, though it doesn't strike anybody, um, or if it does, it doesn't have any real harm. Then, then we're it's we're best advised not to shoot during a lightning storm. Yeah. That's the best idea possible. Yeah. Dan, having directed the Blair Witch Project and having been involved in the horror genre for years now, how is your experience in the genre and the creative attention to detail that you've devoted to your past projects influenced the creation and production of Black Veil? Well, I'm you know. I'm a big believer in planning. Um, you know, I, I I always said an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and the planning process is no different. The more you can think through everything ahead of time, the more time you spend on dealing with real problems on set, not the ones that you right. create yourself. That's a big. I'm a big believer in that, and I learned a lot from Blair and other projects that I've been on, and I've applied that philosophy to Blair Witch. I mean, to, to Black Veil and I, you know, and the people that are involved, like Doug Fox, who's a great producer that is involved and yep. also a partner on this, is a, is, is a master in, in, in making sure everything is planned ahead of time. You know, Christian has a lot of military background. I think they have the same philosophy in, in, out in the field with that. It's like, know, know what you're getting into, know exactly where, where Murphy's Law may be applied. <laughs> And try so it's going to it's going to happen. Yeah, and try try to 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 have contingencies in place for that. So that's a big part of our philosophy going into production. Because for me, as a creative, it allows me to be more creative. It allows the actors to be more creative. We're not dealing with with stupid problems that we could have prevented on set. Then we're then we're just focused on being creative, and that I think results in better outcomes on screen so that's that is one of the big thing takeaways i think from from blair which what a lot of people don't realize what what made that movie look like no planning went into it was, <laughs> was three months planning. of planning prior so um so that is is a a, a big part of my of my thing I, I would rather have every dollar on screen as much as possible and it also i think it's better for the attitude of the crew i mean there's nothing more dispiriting than having to deal with problems that you that of, of your own making, you know, when the crew loses respect for the director because he didn't think his th stuff through or she didn't think her stuff through, and or they're they're winging it as they go, that that always has a negative effect on morale. And I think that's important that the crew feels like the guy in charge steering the ship has a vision, knows what they're doing, and and is not wasting their time. Well, I think Dan and, and Dan's a master at that, and I mean he won't say it because he's him. And but it, I've worked with a lot of different people, and Dan, he, they just gel. The people on set, and I think a lot of it goes down to personnel. When we when when we're picking people to to, to work with, I mean we we discuss a lot of things that I don't know about other people would even go down that deep into it because you're going to be there for a long day, you know. And 
bad things happen. You know, sometimes mechanical failures happen. They do happen, and you know, you got to have people that are that that that, um, that can adjust and, and and come up with a parallel plan. And I mean, in uh, in the first episode, there's a scene that has 300 plus people in it. That's no small feat, you know. And that was Dan and I walking that, discussing it for many, many times before we showed up to do it. It looks simple when you're there. You guys grew up in the South and you've been intrigued by the supernatural aspects of Southern life. How has that inspired and influenced the creation of Black Veil? And what ways have your own experiences with the haunted world of the American South inspired and influenced the show's concept, characters, and stories? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the South has its own, I think, um, sort of uh, particular spooky vibe, unlike anywhere else in the world. You know, uh, I've been I've lived in Alabama. My wife is from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I spent time in Louisiana. I even shot a movie in 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 uh, in, in uh, Louisiana. Um, and it's it's these are areas of the country that are are rife with with ghost stories. Um, haunted folklore. It's in the DNA. It's in the soil. Um, and uh, there's a lot of history in this in this area of the country that that I like exploring. I grew up with these stories. Um, you know, everything from you know the Bermuda Triangle Bigfoot. to the sc- to the Bigfoot. skunk. Ape. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's it's it is uh there's just a lot to to mine from this area of the of the country and if i think if you have a an intimate understanding of not only the stories but the people you know yeah. the people that these stories involve the, the the culture and the lifestyle that that um that if if you have an intimate knowledge of that you can portray authentically i think it it, it allows us to have a show that's slightly different and identifiable from a lot of the stuff that you see out there that just looks like it's a, a collection of horror stories that are just thrown together. This I hope to have a, a real kind of connective thematic feel to it that um, that will will sort of like differentiate it in the marketplace that people like, oh, I like the vibe of this show. It has a Southern Gothic vibe about it that that um, is is something I can dial into. So that's that's what we hope to do with this and, and getting directors and creative people that understand that and even crew that's from the right. area. They all right. they all get that. We're all local. You know, we you know, Danny like McBride, just the, the amount of guys that kind of grew up in this area and like, like in your area in Louisiana, I know you guys got I mean with the French and you guys got ghost stories coming out. We like we do. We got stuff around the Everglades and you know, just scary, scary stuff that Dan and I heard growing up and and, and um, you don't have to look too far for it. You know, it's there. And, uh, you know, in, in, in fact, uh, Dan and I signed a deal uh, to do a ghost show uh, right before the COVID thing with the girl that actually was from Florida, yeah. Orlando. So, you know, but, uh, you know, there's enough of those scary stories, whether it's uh, Key West has got a, for example, Key West has a doll. That's a famous doll down there that everybody kind of goes down and check. It's like a Chucky doll. Yeah, so these things exist around the country, and I think that we're just kind of, you don't have to look far. And in what ways will each story and the characters portrayed in them reflect the spookier side of Southern life? Well, if you look at the one sheet of, of, the, uh, of the show, 
it's this woman in black, this kind of black veiled woman, which I always felt sort of identified sort of the kind of Southern Gothic spookiness and creepiness of, of this genre that I like a lot. And, um, I, I really identify with, and, and it's, and it, it, and it's not necessarily a straight up in your face horror. It's sort of this underlying suspenseful, creepy, um, kind of legacy horror that is, I think, rife through the Southern culture. Um, it's, it's a horror, um, that goes back generations. And I think this woman in black sort of, um, embodies that spirit and that kind of ghostly legacy that I want to be, you know, in every episode, sort of permeate the background of every episode. And that's, that's one of the prerequisites I'm telling the writers of this show is that, you know, somewhere in your episode, have a, have some rendition of this woman in black so we can kind of connect her throughout all these episodes. And if you're, if you end up being a real geek of the show, you can you'll be able to point her out in the background, right. or, or or in some way you'll see this woman um, has an influence of what's going on, even tangentially through through every one of these episodes. That'll be cool to kind of piece together. And then we're even contemplating at the end of the season, maybe all these Easter egg clues will culminate into some kind of uh, payoff for who puts the puzzle together. So um, that that'll be fun, and also encourage people to watch all the episodes and see how this connectivity works out. But that's that's kind of what we're thinking. Location is a major part of Black Veil, and you chose to film each of the episodes in and around the Tampa Bay area, specifically Plant City, where your production company Power Station is located, and the city of Ybor. Is that is that the pronunciation of it? That's Ybor. Yeah, it's Ybor City. Um, a power station itself isn't in, in Plant City, but that's where we shot most of the first episode. And yeah, I mean Hillsboro, both Hillsboro and and, and uh, Hillsboro's the county. That yeah, incorporates Tampa, Plant City, and multiple other cities within. But Hillsboro County is yeah. the overarching county. And, that, and go ahead, Deb. Yeah, and, and as as well as Pinellas, and you know, we our our goal, I think, for both the power station and Black Vale is to sort of like shine a spotlight on this area of florida that we are open for business once we are open but 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 we, we we can do high quality compelling content in this new marketplace this new online marketplace and being sort of a hometown boy coming back to florida to shoot stuff um and bring some other florida boys back into the into the fray that that you know maybe that will incentivize the incentives the state incentives and and get production back up and rolling again that was our intention um but yeah the being sort of headquartered out of tampa area tampa st pete area is really a great geographical and cultural location i think for a production company it's 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 got all kinds of great locations both in terms of rural and city, um, international airport right there, 15 minutes from your front door. Um, you know, a very enthusiastic populace, great crew talent there. When you, you know, most of whom are working out of state in Atlanta, they much prefer right. working in Florida. 
So, um, so we're yeah we're we're well positioned in this area to not only shoot a lot of our shows right in the immediate vicinity, but also branch out. I mean, we're not averse right. to shooting in Georgia or uh, or Alabama, but why Louisiana. can't yeah why can't right. Tampa be the next Atlanta? You know, there's no reason why it can't be. It has all everything going for it to be that. So one of the things that I always expand upon on that is you know like. Atlanta and Georgia was really aggressive, and, and, and so was Louisiana, you know, building their uh, infrastructure at one point. In Florida, we're not going to compete. I don't feel like we're going to compete with Georgia with the amount of money. They have such a head start on us. But Dan and I have this conversation all the time, and I was heavily involved on the Grammy side with Austin, Texas. And, and I remember when Austin came online, everybody in L.A. and New York uh, – all thought that in Nashville, all thought, oh, my God, they're going to be stealing talent from us. And in fact, that's not what happened. Austin became the, the hub of independent music. And, and what Dan and I are saying is that this region, the Gulf Coast region, could be could be do the same thing that Austin did for music. We could be the one to five or one to seven million dollar film budget. And we and, and, and the Gulf Coast could could be the hometown of independent. It's where you go to get independent film made. That's what we're, that was kind of like my, that's my take on it. Or my. And of course, Austin is also a great place for independent film. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, there's, I agree. there's, there's a real, there's a real gap now between hyper low budget stuff and the hyper high budget stuff, right? Right. There's right, a, there's, right. The middle class of filmmaking has been thrown out the window and, and that's where I existed for years. So, you know, if, a slight, slight correction in what Christian said. The, the sad thing about Florida is that actually Florida had the head start over Atlanta. I was mm-hmm. there in the 90s. Yes, when you were. We, had a, we had a film incentive program before Atlanta was online, before Louisiana was online. Hollywood East was the big talk of the town. We had some of the best stages in the country at Universal, MGM Studios, they had amazing facilities there. They were shooting feature films there. They had TV shows, Nickelodeon. We were rolling, rocking and rolling. And then they no. they stopped with the incentive and everything, the floor fell right out. Up. And yeah. then Atlanta took over, Louisiana took over, and now look at look at where Florida is now compared to those guys. So sadly they had a perfect they had they had the baton. They had they had it all they did twenty years ago. And 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 so and a lot of people pushing against those incentives were saying, you know, there's no money in it. It's too much of a tax break for for Hollywood. But look at the benefit, the financial benefit and the economies that Louis, places like Louisiana and places like Atlanta have, have benefited from from the expenditures in, in this area. So I think it can come back. And look, never say never. It's never too late. You can see these as perfect case studies as to why incentives really bring a lot more money in that that goes out, and if if Tampa and St. Pete area sort of embrace this gap in in funding, you know, with the hyper low and the hyper high, you can fill in that middle ground and bring us guys like us back into the fold. I think they're really in a good position now to take advantage of that and be the new Austin of filmmaking um, in Florida. And how do the locations, the scenery, and the history of the Tampa Bay, St. Saint Pe- Petersburg area add to the effectiveness of the stories that you're telling in Black Veil? 
Well, for us, Black Veil in particular in the horror space, they, they lend themselves really well. I mean, it's, you know, you've got southern, the, so many southern locations. Uh, you know, you've got, uh, you know, spooky woods. And, you know, if you've ever driven out, especially in, in the kind of the rural areas of, of the uh, of south, so many great, like, spooky houses and, um, and things like that. There's, there's a whole website of just haunted lakes and trails. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much to explore. Um, a lot of people don't realize that there are lots of forts like old, uh, you know, Spanish forts like San Augustine. But there's a whole bunch of other ones that are supposedly haunted yeah. as well. Insane asylums that are now closed down. I mean, there's so much to mine from these areas of the old south um, that that could be made into really spooky stories, whether they're existing folklore or folklore that we create ourselves doesn't matter as long as it pays off and it's creepy and entertaining i think this is a great location to start something like this in earnest um and hopefully the state will start to see that and and we can have our own kind of version of the walking dead if you will um that Atlanta has benefited from that that brings a whole bunch of tourism dollars and who knows? One of these days, someone will want to go to a particular location that we shot a season in or an episode in and go, hey, that's where they shot such and such. Let's go buy some T-shirts. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny because it wasn't too long ago that we had burn notice, bloodline, ballers. I don't know what the deal is with B in the, in the state of Florida. But yeah, <laughs> we had the Glade. You know, we were the number three that was eight years ago. And you know, we lost our incentive and, and uh, you know, they're working really aggressively to come up with a new incentive. And, you know, whether that happens or it doesn't, you know, we the reason I think Dan and I can be successful in this area is because we were both from this area. And so I'm able to go in to talk to these these businesses and, 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 and either waive location fees. I mean, I'm, I'm able to eliminate or reduce line items in the budget to shoot here, you know, because they want their production here. They, they, they have a lot of people, business owners have kids that they'd love to send a, you know, that maybe they send them to a film school and, and they'd love to have them working at home a month a year. Jesus. I mean, and that's just not available. And so I think Dan and I looking at the educational component. And when I go in and talk to a business, they're all my friends. And Dan, Dan knows he's in most of those meetings with me and, and they all see the same thing. And I'm, I'm not doing, I'm not pitching them. They already own houses and pay, pay taxes here. So all I'm trying to do is let Dan put a magnifying glass on it like they did. Look how many people found bloodline. Um, and they didn't even know. All of Eastern years are a nice story about Eastern Europeans finding. They knew Miami and they knew Orlando, Mickey Mouse. But they didn't know that there was a chain of islands off the coast of Florida. And when they found bloodline, their uh, tourism dollars from Eastern Europe, like they tracked it, were like 400%. And so people are just finding um finding the keys, you know, and, 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 and I think uh, that's the beauty of those dollars and that, the, that the incentive brings versus just spending money on visit Florida, like visit California, or visit Louisiana. That's a, that's a transactional decision, but putting some creative out that, that uh, you know, representative of the Gulf Coast of Florida here, that'll reside on, uh, that'll reside for forever. And kids continue to sell people. Like my, the old Miami Vice days. 
Quickly, let's get to your other major project, Skyman. What is it about? What story does that film tell? Who's involved in it? And where and when can people go to see it? Uh, well, Skyman was actually inspired even before Blair Witch was. You know, I grew up in the late 70s and 80s, you know, when kind of UFOs and, you know, Bigfoot and all were the rage and Loch Ness Monster and all that sort of thing. And I, you know, had a, a little UFO club when I was about 13 uh, with my friends in the neighborhood. And, um, and right around then, Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out, which has had a big influence on my life. And I had always wanted to kind of tell a story about a UFO encounter or, or abduction, if you will, uh, but more from the perspective of the experiencer rather than it being sort of this analysis or any kind of, uh, you know, big flashy Hollywood version. I wanted to like, how did it affect the, 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 the abductee's life, you know? And so, you know, decades later, I, I sort of played around with this idea of this fictional character named Carl Merriweather, who claims he was visited by an alien out camping with his father at their bug out shelter in the desert, in the high, high desert of California, um, when he was around 10. And 30 years later, he's convinced that this so-called alien, the Skyman, if you will, is going to return for a visit. So he's got compelled to kind of go back out there and have this reunion with this alien. He's convinced his sister Gina and his best friend Marco to go, Marcus to go out there with him. And my job as a filmmaker is documenting this this resurgence in his in his compulsion to go out there and 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 uh, and document this 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 journey of his. So. We shot that, uh, I guess it was the October before last, in 2018, October 2018, and um, Joe Restaino is one of the producers on it who helped raise the money both, both back in the early days. And um, we, you know, actually several people that worked on, on Skyman ha had some involvement. I know Kristen was out there on set with us as well during the desert of, of, of Apple Valley, but my dear friend Ray Warren, who lives out there, was was a co-producer on it, and uh, that that helped us instrumentally out there. So, so yeah, it's been a long journey with this goofy movie of ours, and and Michael Selly, who stars in it, Nicolette Sweeney, who's a dear friend as well. They both did an awesome job bringing their A game to the screen as a brother sister chemistry in this show. Um, and, uh, and, and so all involved, I think have really kind of elevated this little tiny movie we shot in the desert up into something that's now getting kind of national distribution and drive-ins throughout the country. And we go to VOD on, the, um, I think at Anim Amazon and where else. So, um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a, an interesting, fun journey and um very proud of the movie this little tiny movie and and um hope we can make more like it um but it is a perfect example i think of of doing something outside the hollywood system for not a lot of money that can still make a fairly big splash um you know if you've got the right people and right idea any thoughts on that to elaborate Kristen? i i, I started to, i think i started the interview off by saying it was probably one of the best and i've Probably what one of the top three experiences in my life is was making that movie with Dan out there and being out in the desert and shooting a, an extraterrestrial movie is just I can't even 
out of all the, I've done 33 live award shows, man, 33, and nothing holds a candle to to what I did, the experience I had with him out there, which is why I work with him anytime, anywhere. He's one of the easiest guys on the planet to work with, brother. Finally, what are your hopes for Black Veil's success, not just as a creative venture, but also as a form of entertainment in the horror genre? Well, my hope is that Black Veil pushes every other, every other form of entertainment out and we dominate the world. So that's that's the simple answer. <laughs> joking. I mean, look, it's it's a, it's a small, you know, uh, modest budget production. Um, we're 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 kind of taking baby steps in this new arena, this new kind of uh, you know consumer distribution marketplace that everyone's trying to figure out right now. There's a lot of different uh, attempts and lots of people taking stabs with platforms and formats and whatnot. And um, but for me, I, at the end of the day, I'm a believer that if you've got the if you've got a good content, if the product is good, then you just need to connect to your audience. You find an audience, you deliver a good product, you'll be good. You'll be fine. So our focus right now is just making good, solid shows and not phoning it in. The platforms will, will constantly change and evolve, and everyone's trying to figure out how to how to figure it out, right? But if you've got if you've got a good you got a good cupcake, people are going to want to eat it. Yeah. Whether you deliver it out of the back of your car or you deliver it at Walmart, people are going to want to eat your cupcake. So we're focused on making a good cupcake, and by the time we're done, we'll have a we'll have a bakery full of good cupcakes. So we just need to we just need to figure out who wants to sell them with us, right? I think it'll whether it'll be ourselves with our own platform or 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 another partnership. Um, but we do think that we will have an audience for this that will be oh, enthusiastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got a lot of Blair fans that are coming over, a lot of Skyman fans that are coming over. This is the perfect genre for this space. It really is. And and I think it could be hugely successful. Again, if we if we just have to focus on making good cupcakes and, and people will buy them. Now, Chris, how did you come across, if you don't mind me asking, like, how did you come across the Black Veil um, my uh, friend Kristen Jackson, who is uh, who works, who I've known for quite a few years now, who is involved in web series, who works for this company called Frostbite Pictures, she um, told me about your show, and that's how I got to get in touch with you guys, and that's how I found out about Black Veil. Good to know. It's a word. Good, you know, word word spreading. Good to know. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Where could people find more information about both Black Veil and Skyman? Well, you can go to blackveilonline.com to get uh, kind of the latest on Black Veil and kind of get an idea of the of the vibe there. And and regarding Skyman, you can go to skymanthemovie.com and get all the latest regarding that. So, yeah, keep an and eye more on... More importantly, there's a nice merch component. There's a nice merch component built in there, too. So for any of you listeners out there, I don't know if we'll come up with a, a code or something, but we'd love to... We're testing a new... Uh, transactional software so if they if your listeners just want to, want to come on over and buy some shirts and ask and coffee you know we're we're going to test out that platform yeah all right christian dan thank you so much for coming on the viewfinder podcast today to talk about both black veil and skyman congratulations on both projects and i wish you all the very best with those thanks Greg. Thank appreciate it. thanks for having us on
You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Stay safe in Louisiana. Yes, you guys stay safe too. That's the Viewfinder podcast for this week. I'm Chris Hadley. Until next time, please stay safe, stay healthy, and stay put.